0: talking about Pluto earlier but part of the reason I was to I talk about Pluto is because I have a, a very prominent Pluto in my chart you know talking about my career as a nurse talking about how death like helping people walk through death was such a big part of that so I'm like I feel like I can totally speak to where we're at right now
1: It was I, I'm sorry, I, I really don't know what you're driving. I just don't.
2: Holler and holler and holler.
1: Perhaps the wall is bathed in a yellow light, or perhaps there's been some interference in Bob's brain, but that's how he sees the white wall. Hello, across our pandemic fruited plain. This is Jeff Little. This is the Attentionist Podcast. I had the pleasure a couple of days ago of having a virtual communication through the interwebs. And my special guest was Rebecca Burnt, who is someone I met about six years ago in San Diego at a conference. And she was interesting and a paradox and Uh, compelling i recently got a note that she's expanding her work as a healer a coach an astrologer and a psychic all of these things you can find at her website rebeccaburnt.com and the last name is spelled b-e-r-n-d-t The best thing to do is just to let the audio play, but we had a lively and fun conversation and I learned a lot and it seemed like the right conversation to have in this pandemic crisis time sort of a uh, discussion of faith, (laughs) a discussion of religion, and a discussion of where we've been and where we're going, both maybe personally and also as society. And... Thanks for Rebecca being willing to do this, and we had a good time. A
0: lot of it was coming out of evangel- evangelical Puritanism. Like that, yeah. I was like, "Oh my God!" Like we can't. I, you know, my parents drank growing up, but it would be like one or two drinks, and we actually uh, they let us drink like as kids, like on on. Um, new year's eve we got to have alcoholic milkshakes uh, <laughs> and i was really excited about and my mom would be like "No, don't make them too strong but then my dad would like make it extra strong for him and he would give that to me because you know i liked it so <laughs> that was only special occasions uh, but i knew a lot of people whose parents were you know very strict about drinking and of course there was a lot of like oh my god don't go out and drink you know when you're um as a as a teenager, but even as like a young adult in college, there was a lot of fear around that. So I think there's something about being like, Oh, we're free. We can go out and be like cool people, like the other kids, you know,
1: yeah.
0: like, <laughs> we're, like hip, you know, we're hip Christians. Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, of- so much of, I identify with that. And so much of my, my early life too. M- so my parents were, um, I I grew up in a loving home and I have a lot to be thankful for. I I try to always say that first and it's kind of like a foundational comment. On top of that, there was a lot of uh, working through, um, I would say now, I wouldn't have said this then, but a kind of religiosity Mm -hmm. was like a big thing. And that meant, well, we would never want to be known as people that drink and then People that drink are often drunks, and we know that we have a few uncles in the family that are drunks, <laughs> and and um, so there was a, a there was a pretty regular check in with our family as to whether we were giving off any sort of stumbling blocks to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so part of that was, of course, anything anything around alcohol or certainly drugs or anything like around uh, personal. I mean, from from my brother and I, like purity issues. um, And, of course, like language. It's kind of all these very... I would just say that kind of having good manners was, like, considered a part of being a Christian, really, in our household. And, uh, yeah, the emergent thing, you know, there was characters in the emergent church that were, like, from Ireland and... uh, From, like, Northern Ireland. (laughs) And they're still in it. I mean, you and I probably could list who those are they are friends still but but it was there's a sort of like ruggedness about like just getting to, to like the ground level that I was like wow this is really you know um this is really kind of fascinating and it was all tied to of course well you know Jesus was just on the ground level and was was oftentimes called a a, a wine bibber and a friend of sinners and um and that's not all the emergent church was about no I don't want to reduce to them to that but there was a kind of Um, willingness to be misunderstood that there was a very for a time especially for me in my mid-20s and late 20s in particular I think I really I was reading the books and really going to the conferences and yeah it was it was it was helpful it gave me some new sort of um muscles I think some conditioning does any of that ring ring true for you
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was was very helpful for me to like, uh, first of all, to understand, to do that deconstruction work and like meaning understanding where a lot of the ideas and beliefs that have been passed down to us came from and how they were sort of shaped. And then looking at alternate ways of like understanding the Bible um, and understanding faith and being able to reinterpret, you know, give, being given some different lenses through which to interpret things. Yes. And then just the, I think the community, like having a solidarity about people who had also been through this sort of weird experience of growing up evangelical and um, just being able to be like, what was that, you know, <laughs> with yeah. other people, and then yeah, totally. I think there was definitely this because so much of evangelicalism, what you're right, was about being like not being a stumbling block. And it's funny because when I hear those words, what come to mind are, um, as a woman, as a, as a as a teenage girl, there was so much put on us around the way we dressed. Because it was like, you can't be a stumbling block to the men. Right. <laughs> um, so, like, literally, I mean, so there's a lot of legalism around behavior in general. Whether yeah. it was thinking, who you were associating with, what kind of movies you were watching, what kind of music you were listening to. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, who, yeah, like I said, who you're friends with. And then, you know, what you're wearing. Like, literally, where, you know, you've got people measuring your hemline or measuring... Mm-hmm like uh are your the straps of your tank top too narrow <laughs> like, so and and in my yeah. youth group, we had a six inch rule, which meant that uh boys and girls had to be at least six inches away from each other at all times now they weren't even i guess being gay wasn't even on their radar
1: No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that's um your' you' it's it's helpful in a way that you're bringing those things up because it's all I was very involved with youth group and we had I remember the permission slips were the same no matter what gender you were but so I would take my permission slip to go on like the trip to the water park that was coming up it was my permission slip would be like and ladies part of you signing your permission slip is that you're only going to wear a one-piece suit and Mm -hmm. um and then, you know, it's like things like that. I just remember because I would see it over. I would go on everything and I would see that. And I would, you know, things like, like you said, like a assigning a pledge of like personal behavior. We didn't do that for every trip. But of course, the trips were when you were really crushing it for youth group, you were bringing your lost or unchurched yes. friends.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and then you're getting, here's where it got weird. is, you were getting them to sign the permission slips too. And it was like, or their parents, I guess. And it was like, that was always a source of, of like awkwardness. It's like, how strict is this going to be? And I'm like, ah, you know, as long as you don't let the one volunteer get too close to you, you don't got to worry about nothing, man. Just hang with me. And so I, it was like, just weird dynamics. And those those really, those did you know here so i'm now in my mid 40s i'll turn 45 this late this summer and i'm i've i am i have i have spent the last probably 20 years really finding that those things went into me those early years went into me pretty deep and i associated a lot of those legal, kind of legalistic things with unfortunately not just religious things but really like spiritual things and i I value spirituality, and I, well, you know, I'll continue to to walk into that idea of spirit spiritual health. Um, but I think for me, the the sense of religiosity that was meant to provide the spirituality, it was it was messed up for a while for me, and it it took it's you know, there's been a lot of peeling back layers, and there's been a lot of. Sp- there was a lot of, I, I know in my, um I know in my personal life, just when it came to finding um, significant others in relationships, le- young ladies that I would want to become more serious with, there was so much um kind of mi- misunderstood just from myself to myself about what does it mean to be in a healthy, uh, vulnerable relationship uh, that can be spiritual without dealing with all this religious baggage. Cause I had so much religious baggage around purity culture And, um, and my personality, which is a little bit of a people pleaser personality, (laughs) it's it's an Enneagram too. if that rings true for you. I just, I want to make I want to make leaders happy and I want to make others happy, which sounds really noble. There's always kind of a shadow to that. (laughs) And there's a sense of, of, uh, of, um, kind of, um, projection that comes with that. Uh, I'm just, I, when I talk about, um, going deeper into spirituality and leaving the religion behind. I feel like that's some of the ideas that you're really digging up. Mm -hmm. And if you want, if any of that resonated with you, and I know one of the phrases that you're interested in and and really writing about is exorcising Jesus. I (laughs) I love that. Not exercising, like lifting weights, but exorcising. Am I saying it right? Yeah.
0: Yes. Exorcising.
1: Yes. Like performing. Yeah, yeah, I can force it. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I'm curious about that, and I bet that is a helpful image to me. Go. Just any ideas on that. I'm curious.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because I've been thinking a lot about this, like, spirituality versus religion thing as well. And I I think... I've actually written some things making the case for religion, but really understanding it more as the need for collective spiritual practices that help to sort of bring us together and unite us, not necessarily like the dogma and the doctrine and the legalism that you and I experienced as religion. And I think that that's that's one of the number one um, things that I, I think people struggle with even after they leave Christianity is the legalism and the sort of the, the judgment judgments in their head, the, the feeling even sometimes, even if you know objectively, it's okay for me to do this, there's nothing wrong with this, the sort of, like, just that feeling that's like, I don't know, but I'm scared, you know, I don't know if I can do that, and that was really something that, um, yeah, That I, so, you know, going back to talking a little bit about being in the emergent church, like, I kind of eventually moved on from that in part because i became less and less interested in in trying to fit my spiritual practices and ideas about the world into the framework of Christianity. You know, I felt like sometimes there was this thing where we were doing all these mental gymnastics to try to say like, well, if I do this, it can really be Christian. Or like, if I do this, it can, you know, like if I just understand this scripture in this way, it can, it can, then I can justify what I'm doing. Right. And, you know, it was like someone I used to know used to, would always say, I don't understand why can't you just do something because it's a good idea why do you have to make it in the scripture right and and so I, I saw a lot of that and I saw a lot of um, what I was a lot of like intellectualizing of every everything that was going on and I just became much more interested in like well what's the experience and what's actually mm-hmm. working
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so not feeling such a need for the, any specific theology that was going to justify what I just wanted to do right um <laughs> And it's funny I say that because that's the critique you always get from people who are still fundamentalists. Well, you're just trying to justify whatever it is that you just want to do. And I I think I used to fight against that. But now it's like, well, yeah, I was. And what's wrong with that? Like, <laughs> um, so, So yes, so it's funny because recently, even though I've been out of... That Christian scene for a while, I've always maintained some connection. Like, uh, you know, I I still would say I'm an Episcopalian. Like I, I go to the Episcopal Church every once in a while and I'm craving just that sort of connection. Um, after doing ayahuasca one time, uh, the ayahuasca, I was told that uh, if I went and had Eucharist, it would help me integrate my experience. So I started, I would go to like <laughs> mass every week for like a little, like a month <laughs> after that, like even if it was just the Catholic church near my house, it was a Jesuit parish, they wouldn't ask any questions. So I
1: would like <laughs> get
0: my wafer and then leave. But um,
1: Wait, 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 let me, wait, hold on a second. You, are you saying you were doing the ayahuasca before you went in? or right?
0: I had an ayahuasca. I had a three-night ayahuasca experience. Okay. And afterwards, I was like, I don't understand what the hell just happened to me. And then I got this message, like, you know, having, and it was literally like a Sunday morning. So, like, I woke, like, like, I'd finished this overnight ayahuasca journey. It was it was the, the last of the three-night series.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, I was driving back, my, my house was about 45 minutes away in the morning and it happened to be Sunday morning. And it was like, I just got this message. Like, you know, if you go and have Eucharist, it's going to help you integrate this experience. So (laughs) I went, I just, I didn't even go home and take a shower first. I just pulled into the like local Episcopal church. I went, I was sitting through the liturgy. I was like, Oh my God, let's just get to the communion. I just, I have to have the Eucharist, (laughs) whatever spirit told me. And, um, and i'm sitting there and they're ta- they're saying something about this they, they get to the part where they're talking about um i don't even remember what they were talking about but something came up around jesus being in the tomb and then being raised by, from being raised from the dead right and i just had this thought of like you know what i bet when jesus if jesus really did rise from the dead. I bet when he did, he was like, what the fuck just happened to me? <laughs> right. And I literally started laughing in the middle of church. <laughs> and then I got my wafer and I went home, but yeah. So anyway, so for a couple months after that, I would just, every week, I would just go and I, I just felt like, okay, there's something here that it's helping me integrate the experience. So,
1: um, so yeah,
0: I wasn't doing ayahuasca every time
1: that I went to go. Well, um, but, uh, take me deeper into the exercising Jesus, or maybe that's maybe we're talking about it already,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, so so <laughs> it actually happened recently because um I don't remember I'm trying to remember what exactly precipitated it. I think I was just feeling like I wanted to go to a new level in my own spirituality and i I do. Some magical work and things like that, and I think I was, yeah, I was just wanting to go further, and I felt like there was this fear that was holding me back from fully going into that, and so I didn't undertake it with the notion necessarily that I was going to exercise Jesus, but um, you know, I was reading something that Gordon White, who's kind of an occult um, author and podcaster, has a really great podcast on um, YouTube, was talking about how uh, some, some different things that you can do to kind of like present yourself to the spirit world to say like, I'm fully open. Till I'm listening. I'm here to, to hear you. And that some of that is about um, someone is like going to become a witch or a magician or, or whatever. It is about kind of breaking some of the spell or the hold that the church has over you. So that's why, you know, some people, like Paul Hewson, uh, who who was a, an author on witchcraft back in the seventies, recommended that people uh, pray the Lord's Prayer backwards because it was literally just a way of like sort of just like reversing yeah. whatever hold that had on yeah. you. And um, and so the, so Gor, Gordon White suggested either doing that or doing a headless right, which is a really old ritual that comes from. I think from the Greek magical papyri, but um, it's essentially just a way of kind of saying like, okay, I'm taking sovereignty over my own life and I'm sort of opening myself to have contact with these spirits. So I did that. I went to the woods in the middle of the night um, and it was like in Prospect Park. So I was like in the city. So it's not like I was like <laughs> in a remote place, but it was still kind of scary to go. Yeah. I mean, it, there are some, deep woods there that you can go into. And I went in the middle of the night and I did this right. And then I, um, I actually invoked a goddess, the goddess Hecate. Um, and said like, Hey, I want to, I want to learn from you. I want to, I want to understand you. And she's, she's considered the goddess of the witches. So I did this and, um, I had, uh, a couple nights later, I had a really intense dream where uh, this guy had broken into my apartment and was trying to have sex with me and but doing it in this really like i've been watching you for a long time I'm your neighbor i've just been like watching you through your window and I love you so much and like don't you want me and i remember in the dream being like this is really creepy this guy's a stalker and also but he's being nice to me and he says he really likes me and he's just like been really wanting like and maybe I should just be like maybe I should just do it but I'm like no like this is creepy and i remember trying to placate him because i I was scared. And I remember at one point in the dream feeling like um even he did not look like Jesus at all, but having this sense that like underneath the mask he was wearing, he wasn't wearing a mask, but like underneath sort of like whatever he was presenting me to himself as, that he he was like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and what I would really describe as the evangelical Jesus. That's mm-hmm. just, I'm just knocking at the door of your heart. Won't <laughs> you let me in. I love you so much. I've yeah. been Suing you and blah, 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 Right. And and so anyway, I woke up from this dream and I was like, that was really weird. What was that? And then I went to yoga. And while I was in yoga, I had this um, essential... I started getting really sick and feeling like there was a vomit. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I had to like lay down. Um, And then I laid down for a little bit and I got up again. And all of a sudden... I had this memory come back of basically a pastor molesting me when I was very young. And this is something, you know, even now it's like, I have, it's, it was so young. I can't, it's not something that I feel like I'm going to go back and try to track this guy down. I mean, I don't even know if he's still alive. It was like so long ago. I have no way of proving it. Um, But it, it felt very real to me and Mm -hmm. it made sense of something because this is I've I've had a lot of people, like in, you know, through therapy and with like partners in my life and stuff, say like you've you you have these clear symptoms of sexual trauma, mm-hmm. and it's something like I've I've worked through without really knowing where it came from, other than there's I think purity culture can be its own kind of trauma because it yeah. teaches us to disconnect ourselves mm-hmm. from our bodies and our mm-hmm. body sexuality and our desire, but it always felt like there was something more, Uh, but I just didn't know what it was. And it just like, it came to me and it was so clear. And I was like, Oh my God. And it really did feel like it was almost like something that was locked away by this Christian conditioning or, you know, like, I don't even know, maybe that person who did this, like said a prayer, that like, I wouldn't remember, but it, I, I knew that it was directly tied to that, that rite that I had performed. And, uh, and so after that, I began really working more closely with the goddess Hecate. And it's interesting because, um, I mean, that was only back in like September or October. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've never felt like I'm totally against Jesus. Like I have times when I'm like, maybe we'll be engaged in more Christian practices and times and less. And it's funny because I really thought at that point, like, okay, I'm really, really just done with Christianity. But what's been interesting to me is, um, I, I, I've as I've as I've worked more with Hecate, and as I've, I, you know, I, I have had an ancestral sort of honoring my ancestors practice for a while, and I I will say there's like a specific ancestral spirit who is. I see, I, I experienced her as a druid um, going back to like through my Celtic lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone who is pre-Christian mm-hmm. and I really feel like between her and Hecate, I've actually been guided to re-engage with Christianity um, as m- an ancestral practice because it's part of that, my ancestral lineage. Yeah. And because there's something there that needs to be healed. Yeah. And understanding that like, you know, even even when this thing happened, I understood, like, there. I, I do believe that there is a Jesus beyond whatever the evangelical version of him is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that I found out in, in researching Hecate more, that um, one of the ancient Greek pagan authors who was a Neoplatonic author, and I can't remember if it was Porphyry or Plotinus, but one of them, and this would have been, I don't know, the third or fourth century AD, I think, one of them, you know, was 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 known for like sort of writing against the Christians. Not so much because he hated them and wanted to persecute them, but because they were just really annoying mm-hmm. um, to, to pagans and like always shitting. Pagans. And um, he he recounts this episode where he goes to an oracle of the goddess Hecate and asks her, like, "What's up with these Christians? What's up with this Jesus and these Christians?" And the oracle says. Jesus was a very holy man, mm. and he should be respected. Mm. And he's like with gods now in heaven, mm. but his followers had it all.
1: That sounds about right. Yeah. <clears throat> um,
2: so yeah.
1: let me let me just. This is you said so much interesting stuff. I wanna like figure out how to jump in. It's like a jump rope that's going pretty fast. I'm gonna jump in and uh when you talk about Hecate, if I'm saying it correctly, the goddess, is mm-hmm. that is that something I mean it's a supernatural consciousness something in the realm of like an angel. Is that, I mean, would you use that word or would you just say, ah, not not, not that far.
0: That's interesting because I think, um, you know, there's different frameworks for understanding what these beings are. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And certainly, um, it's interesting how they get reinterpreted throughout history as they Mm -hmm. sort of shift across cultures. Mm -hmm. So I mean, sure. I think you could understand her as something like an angel. I wouldn't say that because um, angels, I think, are just coming from a different, a little bit different metaphysical framework. Okay. But um, no, I, I think that these are real beings, and they are both some, somehow shaped by human understanding mm-hmm. and. So existing beyond human understanding. I mean, when mm-hmm. you have like a real experience of receiving a, a, either like a message like that is prophetic and it mm-hmm. actually happens, mm-hmm. or you, um, you know, I know some people that do see them. I don't. I don't actually see them physically, but um, I certainly experience. You know sometimes I do hear th- hear voices and, and I've you know gotten messages, and I also tend to experience things very physically, so I can often feel particular presences and mm-hmm. as a sensation um but when you start to actually interact with them or and like ask for things or do practices to them you it, you see real results and you're like, "Oh this is something I can't deny that this mm-hmm. is a real thing so for me. You know what we call gods and angels and demons tends to shift over time. So of course there's a lot of a lot of beings that pagans would have understood as gods, or you know, pre-Christian people would have understood as gods, but then Christianity gets comes along, they get turned into uh demons. Or sometimes they get turned into
1: saints. (laughs) Yeah. So some of what i am thinking of as you're describing um ways that other cultures would interpret um these these beings i follow a guy on youtube i i know he has a real name but his like subscriber name is trip whip and he's constantly talking about what he sees on his um on his trips with psychedelics and I think he's doing a combination, not at not once, but he's doing, like, alternating uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And he's, do, I think some of his most um, lucid um, kind of reporting back is when he's on LSD. Some of what he's talked about on LSD is seeing uh, machi- what he calls machine elves that are... Yeah and and I'd be curious what your response is, but from what I recall, and he's, he's putting up videos constantly. And I don't watch every one, but he says that the machine elves you sent during maybe um, a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty deep plunge into the trip you're on. Um, you do see these machine elves everywhere. They're playful. They're encouraging and they're positive, And occasionally they're transmitting messages to you. And he's, I remember one, one of his videos and he's, he's, pretty pretty dramatic speaker. Uh, he said one of the things that has been one of my more profound experiences in my life with these machine elves is that they calmed me down in the middle of my trip and said stop with all of your kind of trying to understand everything and just receive this message. Whatever you would look for in your life, it is possible to find it and it belongs to you already. It's, it's within your reach. And this really affirming he's like i don't even have the full words to to share with you but there is there is this goodness that is in this fabric of this other realm (laughs) that um he was and i I believe he, he continues to do more and more psychedelic journeys to receive affirmation to receive guidance um but you you seem like you responded or recognized this idea of machine elves does that resonate with you some
0: it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't resonate with me personally. But that's mm-hmm. been. That's. He's not the only one to talk about machine elves. I mean, Terrence mm-hmm. McKenna talked about yes, it, yes. Um, like a kind of common thing that I think people experience on LSD. See, I, I believe it's kind of more specific to LSD than okay. The other, um, the other psychedelics, mm-hmm. and I've, I, my guess is that is partly because it is a synthesized. Okay. Yeah, it is. As opposed to the other other ones, which are plant medicine, and in fact, I know some people who do plant medicine who hate LSD because they think it feels so weird and alien to them, and they prefer like the sort of earthy um, vibes of the of the plant medicines.
1: Ayahuasca, of course, ayahuasca, of course, plant based Um, is. You know, it's. I feel like it's coming out more and more, and I, I do feel like this has a dovetail with the spiritual experience. Um, there's celebrities now, and kind of even... Uh, there's a guy, Pete Holmes, kind of a somewhat famous uh, comedian and, and uh, stand-up guy who's friends... I'm friends with with Richard Watt. <laughs> of Richard Roy. Yes, friends of some of our friends. Um, um, Pete talks about in his latest book... Um, maybe his only real book, it's kind of a, it's a real biographical thing, but he describes his experience uh, of of really receiving spiritually, really seeing, seeing the world, the natural world in a, you could say a, a kind of post egoic way that, yeah. that the natural world does not have an ego. In fact, I mean, he may say something to the effect of, you realize you, at perhaps your greatest biological uh, moment, are just a part. But that's not just a part, but it's like you, you are a great part <laughs> of the biological experience. Um, and those have been really profound ideas to me. I have not, I have not done any drugs. Yeah. And I, uh, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm waiting for because I feel like it would be a, a helpful thing to me. Um, but I just, I it's probably a combination of planning and supply.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um... I used to live with a member, or he, the founder of the Brooklyn Psychedelic
1: Society. So that, Hello. Friends um, in high places. But yeah, right. <laughs> but
0: I, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I do, I, so I've done, I've done ayahuasca and I've also done some mushrooms. I've done a little bit of salvia, not where you smoke it, but it's um, uh, using an extract that's prepared from the leaves that you um, absorb through your... Mouth, which is a much gentler experience of it, mm-hmm. and I will say i think and you know I've met some people who do a lot of psychedelics, mm-hmm. and i I think that there's and, and then i'll say the other thing is I have some friends who are like more like the spiritual contemplative meditator mm-hmm. type who are really like. Like, I don't know about all the psychedelic stuff. I think it's going to, like, take people off the rails, you know, and are kind of worried about that. And I will say, I think there is something, if you go back to these indigenous cultures that really used these plants as medicine,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and and you talk to the shamans who really work with those, like, they have... tremendous reverence for the plant and there's a lot of preparation that you go through to like experience that or even to learn to like work with it and administer it if you have a really good shaman they they are able to work with the consciousness of person of the person on that plant to really facilitate some deep deep healing and there's I do think that there's an experience that is available there that it's not the same when we're just like, even if we're, we're taking it in a more serious way, like Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. our home, you know, I know people like try to make it a ceremony and and take it in their home. I think, I think we are missing out on something a little bit. Um, And I, I do think there's people who just like take it repeatedly, repeatedly and like, My own experience has been that um, you can get some really interesting stuff on psychedelics, but there's also, this is the same thing in the psychic world. There's a lot of noise coming through. Like, there's lots of spirits flying around that will tell you all sorts of things. And, like, learning to discern, like, what's actually valid and valuable and, like, what's just, you know, more nonsensical is... Mm -hmm. That is a real thing. Mm-hmm. That's a real discernment that has to be made. Um, and there's a lot of things that like seem profound in the moment, and then you realize, like, actually, you know, I don't <laughs> know, that was really so profound. So I, I, and that's not to take any, away at all from like the the real meaningful experiences that people do have on the, those substances. But I would love, uh, I, my own. Intuition, kind of, just my own. I guess um, w- what I feel like I'm seeing is that those 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 plant those plants, the mushrooms and ayahuasca, are wanting to be disseminated in part because they know that we we need to wake up to the fact there's a world beyond just like our Western materialist understanding mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. and like, the Earth actually needs us to wake up to that <laughs> because. Yes. Uh, you know, because it, it, we're right, really at, in this crisis point right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think it's great that people are able to access more of that um, and have those experiences. And I would love to see us, number one, like think more about how to do that, like respectfully and sustainably, like work with mm-hmm. the plants. And then like see people really developing real skills with how to do, mm-hmm. you know, deep healing with it. Um, beyond just like the sort of like fun personal experiences, so I, I, mean, think- I
1: really, I really appreciate that delineation between um, the rec- the sense of it being a recreational moment versus a um, you mentioned a shaman, which is takes us into that s- spiritual um, kind of enlight- en- enlightenment space. <laughs> where uh there's a desire like you I think you used the word healing mm-hmm. is what healing is possible I mean that's the question I would have if I could see myself for instance in a uh, in a narrative that was perhaps a, a greater narrative <laughs> than the one that I just make up as as for better or worse, probably mostly a materialist, and I'm I, I'm very much a son of the 21st century, and I
2: mm-hmm.
1: I get I'm not I have moments of transcendence, but I you know I'm sub I'm often subjected to just the classic um, you know whims of being a 21st century uh, goofball and being distracted, seeing myself um as part of a natural story, were that to be available, I think that would be helpful to me. Grounding, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, th- I think. I think it would help me to slow down. And mm-hmm. uh, some of what I wanted to talk to you about. Speaking of kind of seeing oneself in a greater, uh, maybe physical world, I know you have a, a understanding, and even um, uh, you've done work with astrology, with the charts, mm-hmm. with um, finding. A uh, I, I, I kind of enlightenment with astrological information. <laughs> I, whatever the best way to say it is.
2: Yeah. What would you say?
1: Even without talking about anything related to um, any drug use or anything, of course, but like, is that kind of a way of understanding ourselves in a larger universe?
0: Yeah, I absolutely. I think it is. You know, it's astrology really began with people uh, it, it's very, very old, and it starts with people looking at the stars mm-hmm. um, to measure the seasons and also yeah. to like and also to navigate by so you so like mm-hmm. try people would know like okay when when this constellation is at this certain point in the sky. You know, now it's time for us to begin journeying towards the place where we're going to meet the other people, and we're going to have a big party, and then we're going to get we're going to exchange why like women or whatever or men so that we don't um, end up inbred, right? Like, right, right. so like or like is now it's time for us to go on this our hunting journey when the stars get to a certain place, and we're going to use mm-hmm. them to navigate by. And mm-hmm. so it starts with the stars, and then as people um kind of transition out of the hunter and gatherer. Um, phase, and they start kind of settling down. Um, you start to get more of a, a planetary sort of looking at the the, the movements of the planets, mm-hmm. um, and the moon and the sun and stuff. And and people start to um, people start to to tell or maybe even perceive stories about about what's going on. And so they start recording it and they start writing down, like, this is where the planets move. This is what they did. This is where the stars moved. And so ancient Babylon or a- ancient Mesopotamia is really where you first start to see um, the beginnings of what we recognize as astrology today. Mm. Um, and they were doing all these really detailed observations. And as they were doing this, they were had questions about what does this mean? And so they were starting to discern, like, oh, there's certain meanings or there's certain things that we see kind of like recurring when the planets are in a certain place. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, first of all, our modern uh, science of astronomy would not exist without that. Yeah. And secondly, the way, the way I was taught by my teacher to understand astrology is it's, it's a simple, it's a language with which we are communicating with the universe. And the more you pay attention to it, the more you actually start to receive messages through it. Mm. So I can, you know, I can definitely look at my chart and say like, there's certain times like when, when I'm having these certain transits from Pluto, like I always know that my life is going to get fucked up in some way. (laughs) Like something's (laughs) just going to like get, there's going to be upheaval. And, and, and Pluto is like a, um, all about death and rebirth, Pluto's in God's world. And so it's always like a period of death and rebirth for me. And it's interesting because I'm in the middle of a really intense Pluto transit right now. But because I've been practicing astrology, I knew it was coming up and I was prepared for it. So when I could start to see like something wasn't working anymore, it became much easier for me to let go of it and say, okay, I know that like I have just, that's going to be hard, but I've got to let go of this. And there's going to be something better on the other side and it's okay. Yeah. And that's been tremendously meaningful for me. That's been really useful for me to have that understanding. So, um, yeah, I do, I do think that we are part of, you know, it was, it's Thierry de Chardin, who was a Jesuit priest and also a paleontologist, a legitimate scientist who um, was responsible for some, you know, big discoveries. Like, it, I think he helped to... Um, he was like a part of the dig that found like, I don't know, some ancient hominid who was very much into mm. evolution, mm-hmm. you know, and, and thoroughly a scientist was also a mystic. And he said, all matter is consciousness. All matter is conscious. mm. we have consciousness. Yeah. Everything yeah. is conscious. And and if we understand that the universe is part of this bigger consciousness, mm-hmm. it, yeah, why can't we be, It why can't there? It, that consciousness communicate? with us through the movements of the planets. Um, why can't it communicate
1: with us through? It feels really, um, it feels like a, a positivity that you're describing that, I mean, you, you spoke about the, the Pluto and being a sense of transit and you, and you have a personal sense of being um, in a transitional time. Could you explain, with no desire to get specific, um, but is it almost like your actions would possibly have more um, success transitionally, for instance, um, during a time of, of transit because of the way the chart is moving? I mean, I'm just trying to find like a practical... Yeah. For, like how how you might change the way that you're doing things um, in a day or a month or a week. <laughs> When it comes to knowing that you have perhaps some additional energy to work with in a particular way.
0: Ah, totally. Um yeah, I think that I'm not no, I'm not one of these people who like totally is planning my life by the stars all the time, you know? Like, um, I, I think personally, I think if you have to do that, maybe you you it's like not always super healthy. You know, you need to have your own sense of flow. But like I do when I'm looking at like, okay, this is coming up and say, um, Jupiter is going to be in my second house of money. Like this might be a really good time to work on, um, creating some wealth for myself Mm -hmm. or trying to, trying to make some money or, you know, now, now it's going to be, uh, debilitated and so it might be more difficult um, to make money right now like there's some really practical things like that that you can get and there are also things like um, like for me just the fact that I knew this this Pluto transit was coming up meant that like I wasn't freaked out when like Things started getting disrupted. I just was like, okay, this is part of something bigger than me, and i I don't have to let my I don't have to let myself become so, um, so troubled by it. Mm -hmm. I can I can just trust the process and go with it, um, and kind of go with the flow. And then it's also like I've had some, you know, I I can look and say like, you know, there's this thing I really really want to happen, um. But it's probably looking at my chart, it, it might not happen for a couple of years. So maybe I just need to let go and just not worry mm-hmm. about it so much. And mm-hmm. it'll it'll mm-hmm. happen it's the right time. And a lot of times that, that that turns that tends to be pretty right.
1: When I read my horoscope, I I'm sure I'm reading it in the wrong places. They're too probably like cheesy. <laughs> um I I gotta say it's so it's such a relief, however. Um, just to have what obviously is a completely detached third party, <laughs> right? Like, the, so for me, it's Leo. Um, the, the, whomever is channeling the Leo energy as a writer is putting it in this little blurb in the paper or the internet or what have you. And I got here's I I got to say that having somebody connect a few things, however abstract, and mm-hmm. it it is. It's a net positive for me. Um, I think, you know, you said it a minute ago, if one was to only use their chart and their um, astrological information, you know, looking for connections around every, you know, uh, corner in life, it would probably be obsessive and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But as someone, you know, I I probably struggle a little bit with anxiety generally and with Mm -hmm. obsessive thinking, to a degree, it's a relief for me to go into the astrological space and experience some kind of ancient motion that puts some puts me in perspective. It means, you know, just the idea, I mean, just the idea of sometimes laying in bed at night and I can't sleep and remembering I am in incredibly tiny (laughs) my physicality is incredibly 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 small Uh, and here are you know to tie it back to astrology but here are these patterns that have existed for millions and likely billions of years that are continuing motion and have been a guide back in ancient babylon and mm -hmm. a guide to the egyptians as best i understand and to many other phenomenal cultures I think that's helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's. It, what's funny is like it's tying me back to the concept of religion a little bit because there's something about investing, um, energy or just like paying attention to the same symbols that people have been using throughout history that can mm-hmm. entice you, mm-hmm. you to that whole stream of humanity throughout time and really like the the world in general. And so just like one of the reasons that I I continue, have continued to choose to find ways to engage in the Christian tradition, even if it's in a very heretical way (laughs) um, is that, and, and what I mean when I talk about ancestral lineage is that when, when we engage in some of these things, it's like, I really believe that, like, when you're engaging in something that has a tradition, there is more power available to you through it because mm-hmm. other people throughout time have been investing their energy in it as well. And so it, it has just a certain thickness and resonance to it. And it's why sometimes when people like just try to totally create, and i'm act, i'm very for people creating new versions of religions and like trying to come up with new things i think that's healthy but a lot of times when people are just trying to create something new it doesn't always have the same it doesn't cohere as well or it just doesn't have the same sort of feeling you know as something that's really ancient that like people have been doing for centuries and millennia
1: there's a pretty popular sort of post-Christiany author guy who just released a book, I think, two days ago. His name is Mike McCarg or McKeggy. Um it's Mook H A R G. Oh
0: yeah, he's one of the liturgists guys. Yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And um wow. And and my humble like social media feed, uh I must be friends with a lot of the same because he just popped up over and over again about how happy everyone was that he's releasing this book. And um He said, he said a few things online uh, on, I guess, Tuesday when all this came out. And the reason I bring that up is he's like, I completely quit Christianity in 2011. I was done too much pain, too many problems, too much can't, can't connect theological or humanistic dots anymore done. And he's like, I came back to it in the last few years, primarily for two things, for two reasons. The first was a space to practice contemplation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: affirming, and the second one he said, "the cloud of witnesses." Mm-hmm. And for me, the second one really relates to what you're
2: saying—that
1: mm-hmm. uh, energy of. I mean, in, in you know, in the case of Christianity, it goes back. We, we you know, <laughs> one of the things I, 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 I have claimed, and I probably should reclaim again, is um the jewish tradition in some ways seems to fit to me like some of the emerging church ideas best this idea of the the name israel means wrestling with god jacob wrestling with god um and uh i think the 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 notion of a cloud of witnesses that we're not we're not folks that had landed at a platitude and now had the answers. And to my mind, the evangelical world does this; <laughs> they have the answers, and they're going to make sure you got them too. And uh, I think the the beautiful aspect that I I see in a lot of Jewish uh, tradition and faith is the the desire to that is knowing one is is chosen by God, but then also knowing one also primarily feels abandoned or separate from God. It seems to come up time and again in Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. And um and then the New Testament, those themes are to me pretty clear in the New Testament. Um but but they don't you know, my joke with my cynical friends, including myself, is it's tough to pass the offering plate to that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so we're going to kind of we're going to kind of focus on the stuff you know, like the evangelical stuff where we've got the answer and the world is lost but we're saved. Uh, it's hard to do a televangelism message around, "Hey, is anyone else feeling abandoned by God?" <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting it's funny because one of the, I mean, I mean, it's, it is there within Christianity. Certainly if you look at the mystics or like St. John of the cross, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, abandoned by God, but, um, but yeah, I, and, and then of course, you know, my mind also goes to like, there's definitely Jewish fundamentalists. If you've ever lived in Brooklyn, <laughs> I, yes. I, I live late,
1: right? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um,
0: <laughs> but, um, But yeah, it's, it's, um, one of the things I've been thinking about is that how with Judaism and Christianity are both so text-based, like, you know, I think Jews were called people of the book. Mm. I've been thinking about this a lot, how with a lot of older cultures, with oral cultures, you would have stories and myths, and they would change over time as, conditions changed, right? And as people moved and it, like the the content of the stories would be there, like the essential lessons would be preserved, but they would adapt and change. And you can actually, there are people like, who have done this, who who are like anthropologists and people who have traced the migration out of Africa, of people out of Africa based on the mythology and the ways that stories Mm. change. Yeah, Um, yeah. The continuity, right? And um, the thing is, once you write it down and put it on a piece of paper and say, this is the story, this is the mm. tradition, it can't evolve anymore. That's good. Because yeah. It's so much more difficult to evolve. And I think that's part of the problem that we're facing right now yes. um, in Christianity. And part of the reason I'm really, I'm putting out this idea of, of trying to understand it again as an ancestral tradition that I engage with on, on that level and that I have a responsibility to show up for. But but what if we started to look at like, what if we sort of get away from the book, and saw it more as a continuity of practice like and as a connection to our ancestors and less as like uh, a book of rules that says like, this is what we have to do. Um, and like, what if we started writing new stories? Like, what mm-hmm. if, we started, you know, I think people are already doing that to some extent. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't know if that. Well, is- I,
1: I, um, I really resonate with you discussing the, the Bible as this, um, I guess this, this written text that. You know, in, in my, uh, in my, in the, in the, my early life and I'm, my, my, um, my family, I'm, I'm kind of a black sheep and I, I still get, I still get in big and small ways from my family and extended family sometimes like a a new study Bible with a new way of looking at things. Yeah. It's been published and the, the intentions are all great and I I don't want to make fun of people, um. But the, the, it's what you were saying. It's like, uh, I, I don't, I, I feel like we're not being completely honest with ourselves as human beings when we keep looking to these written stories um, that in most cases, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's humorous to me that we take as Christians these letters written from a specific person to a specific audience thousands of years ago and we we're like yeah. well these are for us today like come on i mean it's a little bit hard we're it's a little bit hard for me to to believe that i need to do things in the pauline epistles he's clearly it's not that i don't get it i mean i i do there are some good affirming things in there but i just don't feel compelled by that it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me at least I mean I think I've just had the feeling that I've outgrown yeah. having that that sacred text feeling I d- can can any of us look at ancient literature and get things out of it? I think absolutely, and I yeah. do feel that way. When I read the Gospels occasionally, which I still do, I do re- I do resonate and I do care about what's in there, but I don't like feeling like it's something like a blunt instrument meant to moralize into my life in 2020. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like it's not fair. It's not fair to the text. It's not fair to each other. (laughs) Um, I don't
0: know any thoughts on that Yeah, no I totally you're right it's it's actually not good I like that too because like (laughs) we're putting way too much weight like I don't know when Paul was writing these letters was he really thinking like oh my god this is gonna be like what 2,000 years later people are going to come and read this letter and like you know like try to completely measure their lives by it um yeah it's not it's not fair to the text and it's not fair to us either and i think um yeah we need to be able to read these stories and, and maybe see ourselves in it see ourselves in them from time to time but also we need to be able to tell our own stories and you know one of the one of the things like i think about this a lot because I've, i i I've, I've had very I found experiences with both Mary and Mary Magdalene. And there's all this, like, people, like, getting channeled messages about like Mary Magdalene and Jesus actually being like lovers that like had some sort of tantric practice. And that's what allowed Mm -hmm. us to like do his healing and stuff, which I don't know. I mean, that sure. That might be true. I definitely think Jesus was participating in some pretty like intense, energetic practices, like to be able to do what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But the bigger thing about that is like, it speaks so much to a need we have to believe that this person that is so important to us was actually, Human being who had sex and who ha- actually loved someone and had a relationship, and to believe that there was, uh, it's possible for a woman to have had that level of spiritual depth and wisdom and sort of realization of her own divinity as well, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. We need that. We that's that's what we need. And like whether it literally happened or not, I don't know, maybe it happened in some alternate intergalactic dimensional <laughs> timeline or <something. laughs> but, but there's always that. There's always yeah. That. <laughs> but we need that story. Like we we ju- yeah. we, ju- we we need stories about people being able to be partners um across polarity, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mm-hmm. We need, we need stories of people who live real lives here on earth that aren't just always trying to ascend to some sort of ideal of perfected, mm-hmm. um, transcendent godhood. We need, um, and we need stories about the natural world and about being able to be in relationship with the natural world. Like, you know, so many indigenous cultures have these stories about talking to the animals and the trees and the plants. um. And yeah, I, I, I think, I think it would, and I think that um, if we look at Christian history throughout time, people, when when cultures got Christianized, they always found ways to blend their whatever their indigenous you know or or pre-christian belief system and practice was with christianity and it's never been accepted as official christianity but it's always been going on on the edges right yeah and that's what uh, that's part of what i think that to me that is also part of the christian tradition that we have access to to reclaim yes. it I get.
1: i get with the different with your journey and with the different chapters in your journey thus far i feel this kind of wonderful um i guess there's a blending i guess i would just say the word blending comes to mind and it feels it feels it's like two things at once a kind of paradox it's 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 a it could feel i guess unfundamentalist to each of to, to the several things um, it could feel like well, a good astrologist would never also um, be seriously thinking about Christian dogma. There could be that, but then the other paradox could be well, no, it's it's because of my generosity of um, spiritual interest and my generosity toward. Hu- I think you just said it. I like what what does it mean to be human? Well, it's complex, and there are, there are paradoxes in being human every day um this i Id- this idea of our spiritual practices including like you said christianity becoming more generous and increasingly honest for me the, for me i i think one of the reasons i quit regular church is i didn't feel like the priest was honest about the bible much of the time and would would stand up and I was going to a very liberal Presbyterian church and the pastor he would read out of a Pauline epistle, for instance, and be like, the word of the Lord. And we were all supposed to say, thanks be to God. <laughs> it's like that that really doesn't work for me. I don't it's not because I am offended or something by the text itself. I just don't think. Have you have you not read Bart Ehrman? Have you not read The Jesus Seminar people, have you not read uh, just historical scholarship on the Roman Empire during the time of Paul? There's like all these things that doesn't, it just makes the Bible a little different than what you're trying to make it into. You're trying to use it, in my humble opinion, as a blunt instrument to control some aspect of my life. I I don't, I'm not saying parts of my life are not out of control. They are. (laughs) We can talk about that. I'm up for that. Um, But let's, let's just be honest about what we're doing here. And uh, I'm saying, just to kind of bring a little bit of a, tie a bow and a little bit what I'm saying. I, I think there are inherent paradoxes in bringing diverse spiritualities together, but I just think it's a human experience to do that anyway.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely and and when you talk about when you talk about control i mean that's exactly it even if even if that like very progressive presbyterian pastor is not necessarily trying to control people you know like consciously like that's look if 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 we get real and look at the creation of the new testament canon that was what was going on like they were Mm. trying to say like they were trying to control the situation and say, this is who gets to be in and this is who's out. And that's what, if, if, if it hadn't been for like, you know, that it never would have been able to become married with the Roman empire. Mm. Like, so, so that, that, um, desire and attempt to control in a in a very sort of rigid way I think is baked in from the beginning and it's so funny to me because even now like people I know who are very progressive you know Christians like someone posted I think something that I wrote I don't know if it was the exercising Jesus or like do you have a toxic relationship with Jesus or something and there was a bunch of it was like a bunch of of like you know progressive mainline clergy people were like this person doesn't even understand what christianity is this is heresy this is blah blah and i'm like really like why are we so tied to like this notion of orthodoxy like when when truly when i I, religion at its core it's like religio it it means or one potential meaning of it there is some debate about this but like is to connect to bind together Mm -hmm. sort of tie together Right, And so if you look at um, indigenous cultures, their quote unquote religious practices are really about like what helps us align with one another, like what Mm -hmm. helps us feel connected, what helps us um, be in community with one another, what helps us relate to one another. And so that's what the stories are about. The stories help them relate to one another and to the world around them, to the land, to the plants, to the animals. And the practices, I mean, really, I mean, truly, if you look at this, like things like rhythmic, rhythmic practices, drums and chanting and dancing, and th- they actually do help to entrain your biorhythms to one another. Like your your heart's beats start to sing right. up like that. Right. So- A real energetic effect, and so I'm I'm very curious about what it would look like to reimagine Christianity along those lines, and like what actually helps us be connected to one another and still have some connection to these ancestors across time without getting trying to preserve ourselves in amber and getting stuck in like a a, a mindset from two thousand years ago.
1: I like that phrase, preserve ourselves in Amber. Um, that That's good. <laughs> talk to me a little bit about, if you will, your your own desire to be uh, a trainer and a help and a guide for others. I know this is something that is is pro- is somewhat new for you, but maybe there's also, you can just talk about your own interest and in, in what you would see for yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I mean you know, I really see myself as, so, so I do practice, um, I, I do like psychic readings for people or readings yeah. for people and also astrology. And, um, also I do coaching and that really, I mean, it kind of started with, so I, I, am a nurse and I've been a nurse for most of my career. Um, but I was always interested in the spiritual and always in, interested in what was underneath the physical ailments or the physical illness mm. You know, as a nurse, I would say some of my most rewarding experiences, and there's a lot of things about nursing that just make me want to stick my, my forks into my eyeballs. But, <laughs> um, you know, when I was able to help people navigate the dying process, that was one mm, of the most rewarding wow. things. And so um, I ended up doing a spiritual direction program several years ago. And that was really profound for me. And I think part of it was. You know, honestly, I think if I had not grown up as an evangelical believing that women could not be ministers, I probably would have gone to seminary mm. early in my life, and I even did consider going, going, you know, later in life. But I, I, at that point, I was kind of like, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are members of quote unquote. The, well, what I call the ecclesiastical industrial complex, like, <laughs> like and, I, and I see how there—I see how the people in the progressive mainline denominations are really struggling with like the fact that like what they're doing isn't working anymore, and, mm-hmm. and they are not sure what to do with it, and um, and so I kind of saw the the writing on the wall there, and I was like, eh, I don't think that's the right path. So I ended up doing just a spiritual direction training because I had a friend who recommended. He's like, I think this might be something you'd be really interested in and good at. And what happened during that training was I really started to, I was one of the youngest people in that cohort at the time. And, you know, I was just getting a lot of affirmation from these older mentors and guides that said, like, you really have something to offer. And you are very candid and open and vulnerable in a way that, uh, you know, a lot of other people have a hard time being. And so, like, I think I think this is, this is something, you know, that you're good at, and just hearing people tell me that was like, really, like,
2: Ooh, really, can yeah. I really
0: do this? Because I think I had a lot of fear around it. Um, and so I ended up, you know, I, I was practicing spiritual direction for a little while, but I was also starting to have a lot of my own psychic experiences because of my meditation practice. And of course, growing up, uh, growing up evangelical, I wasn't just evangelical; we were charismatic, meaning like, yeah, we were always <laughs> like. And demons out yeah. and like there was weird supernatural stuff going on some of which was bullshit and some of which was <laughs> fun okay um, and some of which was not all that different than people taking too much too many mushrooms and being mm-hmm. sick <laughs> like, but um yeah so i i started having more of these just like experiences that i couldn't explain and i wanted to learn to develop it more so i ended up doing uh, a year-long psychic development program and honestly when I went into that I was just like I don't know what I'm doing this is crazy people are going to think I'm crazy and it was really amazing for me and so I um I never thought that I would call myself a psychic like even when I did it I was like it was billed as become a professional psychic and I was like I don't want to become a professional psychic. <laughs> but I want to learn these things for teaching and I I trust these women that are teaching it. Like they seem legit. And, you know, of course we had to do readings for people. And so I, I started doing readings for people and pe- like I, I would have people be like, I've gone to a lot of psychics and what you're doing is legit. It's, it's mm. really good. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, and so the more, yeah, the more I did it, I was just like, I really like doing this. And, mm. um, I started studying astrology and I, Mm -hmm. I, and, and I, yeah, I just started kind of putting it all together. And so I've been doing that. Um, really for the past couple of years like doing readings for people um, I started like I started going in a direction of spiritual coaching I'm more than spiritual direction partly because people most people don't know what spiritual direction is and also because I feel like there is something I, I found that rather than just meeting with people like the classic spiritual direction model is like you meet with people once a month like for two years or something mm-hmm. and like there's actually a lot you can do just meeting with people like once a week for three months to like really um, do something that's more goal directed that to me actually feels uh, more satisfactory <laughs> in a lot of ways. So um, and yeah, I, you know, as I've been trying to figure out, okay, how do I like, Tell people about what I'm doing and figuring out how I actually like market my services and stuff like that. They a lot of people talk about like niching, like this niching thing, like you have, mm, like yeah, 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 which has always been super annoying to me because I'm just like I just I don't want to have to put myself into a box or a category. But I had a friend really um, say like you know what I think you have something unique to say to. Christians and like post-Christians and ex-evangelicals and you should really consider targeting your work more at those people. And I was really resistant. Mm. And, um, but I was like, okay, maybe you're onto something here because that a lot of times is who I end up attracting anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, it's as I've like leaned into that further, I feel like I've gotten I started to realize, like, oh, actually, I do have things to say. Like, (laughs) I've been wanting to say this, but I've been afraid to because I feel like it's not people, you know, like, I'm not going to be, people aren't going to take me seriously or they're not going to see me as legitimate or, like, these, like, super, um, you know, what, like, God, God. I love Richard Rohr and a lot of these Christian contemplative teachers, but I'm like, well, they won't take me seriously because I'm talking about psychic stuff or astrology Mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Um, And also like realizing that I have some things I want to say to the Christian community that are more challenging, like, like saying like, Hey, we need to really like reevaluate our attachment to some of these ideas of orthodoxy and, Mm -hmm. um, the Bible, you know, and and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just something I'm starting to re-engage and realizing that I have a lot of passion for it, actually, that I have been trying to like keep under wraps. So, um,
1: I think it's great. I, I, I looked through the different offerings and let me just, uh, I should probably let you do it, but I think your website is Mm www.rebeccaburnt.com, right? It's B-B-R-N-D-T. Yeah. Um, and Rebecca with a K-A-H. Re- Yes, Rebecca with a K-H. Um, I'll put all this on the internet. But um I really loved reading about what you offer on the website. It was really interesting. And I was looking at which one I should select. Mm-hmm. So um but you're obviously able to do this work, uh the one-on-one work, you're obviously you can do it through a conference or like a, a mm-hmm. internet True. call. You yeah. don't have to be in person.
0: Yeah yeah and it's funny i've actually i've actually mostly been doing it that way especially because when i was in tacoma i had moved there and then i like started the psychic program and i didn't know a lot of people there but we were supposed to do so many readings and i was like i don't know that many people in town but i could put something on facebook and right. find so just i just got used to doing it on zoom so i've always done a lot of stuff on zoom which now is perfect
1: <laughs> yeah really um i heard someone say recently that uh Okay, obviously we're in a very scary economic time. Um he listed all these industries, like the number one bad industry to be in right now was like the restaurant industry. And then like his number one best thing to be in right now is like any sort of life coaching or um psychic work or anyone like anything related to just encouraging people. <laughs> yeah. Um what do you think about that? Is it? Have you noticed? I mean, you've probably been in touch with some folks the last few weeks. Has has that? Have you felt a little bit like, okay, I'm going to be able to shine at this point?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I think everyone is experienced. I mean, people are more hesitant to spend money on that stuff now. So uh, on anything now. So so it's it's affecting everybody. Um, and at the same time, it's like, oh my god, like literally, you know, I used to. <laughs> Like I have a real, I, t- I was talking about Pluto earlier, but part of the reason I was t- I talk about Pluto is because I have uh, a very prominent Pluto in my chart, and so and you know talking about my my career as a nurse, talking about how death, like helping people walk through death, was such a big part of that. So I'm like, I feel like I can totally speak to where we're at right now. Like my whole career, I've been talking about the <laughs> need for people to sort of like confront death. And yeah. be willing to 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 be present to like death, both literally and also metaphorically. Like, mm. um, and you know, it's it's funny because the last last year I spent a lot of time doing environmental activism, mm. um, partly because you know I was like seeing what was coming, and it's like okay, things are going to get shaken up. A lot of what we've been depending on for security and survival is going to be taken away from us and we're going to have to understand that it's a death of one way of, li- of living but it's also mm-hmm. an opportunity to live into something new and, and and that's true of any death, I think that's true of even our physical death. So. Um, yeah, I feel like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of whatever's happening right now is what I've been preparing my whole life for in a way. And so, um, yeah, you know, it, it's fortunately, I uh, I moved out of New York City in January, up to the Hudson Valley, where it's much cheaper for me to live. And I can live on a shoestring budget right now. And just, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not easy, but like, you know, I i am getting enough to to get by. and. Um, and yeah i feel like i'm sort of coming into saying the things that i i've been putting together my whole life so That's
1: great. yeah i i know that you and i have like marketing kind of friends uh has anyone been like rebecca you got to write the book
0: uh, <laughs> um i have had people tell me before <laughs> that i should write that. um but i you know it's funny i i i I feel like just now, in the last maybe year or so, I've started to. to, I always said, like, especially because back in the day, in the the emergent days, it was like the joke was everyone wanted to write a book, you know, like that was. And I'm like, I never want to write a book just to write a book. If I want to write a book, I want it to be because like when Jesus comes and says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. <laughs> I want it to feel like that. And that's actually, I'm starting to feel that take shape in me. So, wow. um, yeah, I feel like I may write a book at some point.
1: We'll see. Well, that's wonderful. I, I really believe you have a, a, a wonderful vantage point full of kind of redeemed, um, maybe challenges of things that were kind of unusual or not unusual, but kind of common, but you took things from your early life, primarily the the fundamentalistic business, and then you found you found yourself after you put that if you that fell to the side to my to my um opinion and you found and are still finding these ways of spiritual guidance and it turns out. It's not that you have to turn away ancient um, wisdom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a matter of integrating it. Yeah, and, and the ancient wisdom, including the Christian ancient wisdom, and you know, I, I certainly was, I certainly believe there's ancient wisdom in the Christian and Jewish texts. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I what I pick up from you that's encouraging is, it's it's there's material to work with, from all these different directions, and it's. We're in, in a sense, we're in a very safe universe.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I really appreciate the time. We talked about a lot of great stuff that I know I'll be kind of reflecting upon, but um, gosh, I look forward. I know you have, I know you have a Facebook group that yeah. can be found, and you're on Facebook a bit just as yourself, but then there's the group that's pretty easy to find. And um,
0: yes, you're probably course. also in, like mages and, sage, mages and sages, or sages and mages. Sorry, Christopagan sages and mages is the name
1: of it. I love it. <laughs> is wait, is a sage? This is that like a is that a male female thing? What is the difference in a sage and a mage?
0: Okay, so a sage is like someone who is wise, like a sort of wise. Okay, sage yeah, is yeah. familiar. Wise. Yeah, yeah. A, mage is like a magician.
1: Oh, magician.
0: Yeah, so it's like the wisdom, the, the more mystical wisdom, and then also the magical, like, sort of
1: ability. That's really cool. Yes. I'm learning more and more. This is so good. <laughs> well, hey, thanks again for doing this, and uh, uh, thank you. I look forward to being in touch and just continuing to watch all the great stuff that you're up to.
0: Yeah, thank you. It was so great to talk to you. So I, I really don't know what you're driving. I just don't.
1: Holler and holler and holler. Perhaps the wall is bathing in the yellow. Light. Wall is bathing in the yellow. Light. Wall is bathing in the Wall is bathing in the yellow.